Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. We're doing it twice, so it sounds, it's really important stuff. Verse 60, 
When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Aaron. All things that are true are worth repeating. Amen. So uh, we, we had a repeat of a couple of verses there uh, in the worship folder, but uh, hopefully it'll stick. Now, um, since I'm mindful that we have uh, kids with us uh, this morning, uh, we'll try to keep this a lot um, shorter than usual. Uh, sometimes as an assistant pastor, you can think that, uh, you know, if I'm not the senior pastor, then there's no way that I would preach as long as the senior pastor. Uh, but then to my horror, I look back over some of the sermons I've preached in the past. I've preached just as long, um, sometimes maybe a little bit longer. Um, so I'm going to work on making it a little bit shorter for you all this morning uh, because typically people can tolerate uh, a much longer sermon from the senior pastor than they will from someone else. And for those of you who are, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, for those of you who are, who are guests with us, if you haven't figured it out already, uh, I'm not Howard Brown. My name is Amari Hill. I'm, the, I'm one of the assistant pastors here. And our pastor is away right now. He's preaching at a conference uh, at Clemson University. Uh, he's been there for the whole weekend, and so, but he's looking forward to being back with us all uh, next week. And as I said earlier, he's going to continue um, what he started um, two weeks ago, which is uh, a sermon on is, does the Bible uh, advocate, does it teach, um, does it promote misogyny? Um, so hopefully you'll be here uh, next week uh, to hear him continue that series. But today, as we continue in this series, uh, looking at uh, the, the, our barriers to faith, right? I'm asking for a friend, but what... Or, why is it, it here, here's something that, that makes it hard for me to trust in Jesus. It makes it hard for me to, to join that Christian tribe. And we've been looking at some of these things through questions. We've received questions from a lot of you. Um, we have also de derived some of these questions from conversations that we've had with other people. And so today we're, we're wrestling with this question, why is the Christian faith so exclusive? Why is it so exclusive? Why? Uh, you know, I mean, even um, today, even though Christianity has come upon some hard times and, you know, um, hasn't been fully accepted in, in some circles, it's still known as a religion of love. And, for, and so if this is a religion of love, then it, it should be really easy for anybody to be included, right? But why does the Christian faith seem so exclusive? I mean, it, 
Yes, it is a, a religion of love, and it is one that is fairly open, right? And, and you'll, we'll see just how open it is here in, in a few minutes. But there, there's some things, some practices, some, some situations that, Christian, that the Christian faith prescribes, like loving your enemies. But what are you supposed to do with that, right? And then there are certain practices of the, the Christian faith, like going to church and even meditating on an, an old book like the Bible, Right? Why, do, why do we have to engage in that? And then there are things that you have to believe if you're going to subscribe to the Christian faith. You have to believe that there's only one God, right? And, and that there's only one way to this God. And so that can, it can feel like, you know, hey, Christianity, if I want to be all in, uh, is pretty exclusive. Why, why can't I just have the, the Christian experiences? Why can't I just enjoy some of the fruits that come with Christian morality? Uh, rather than having to subscribe to all the specifics of the Christian faith. It, Christianity seems pretty narrow. And it, but I, I want to submit to you today that Christianity is, appears and is in some ways pretty narrow because of what is offered. Because of what is offered. And in the text we heard this morning, what is offered is the bread of life, the bread of eternal life. And Christianity is fairly narrow because of what is offered. So, like, if you're about to go to another city, right, and you're looking for an Airbnb, but you're rolling about 10 people deep, and all the Airbnbs only have, like, two bedrooms, you got to have some issues, right? Well, what's, what's being offered by the Airbnbs in that town? Right? You got to make sure that it, that it accommodates you. You have, to, you have to see what's being offered. And so that's what we're doing this morning. We have, we're going to see what's being offered. And I picked this text because this text, out of so many other parts of, of, um, of the gospel, it shows us just how exclusive Jesus can be. I mean, goodness, he had his, his disciples turned away after what he said here, after what we heard. That's pretty exclusive. So I thought we would, we would examine it and look at what Jesus is offering when he says that he is the bread of life. These crowds, they followed him. They wanted to be included in the Christian faith. And Jesus offers them the bread of life. Now, I'm going to break that down in just a minute, but first, I want to name a name. And that name is a name which, um, <laughs> which should not be named, which is Voldemort. Right, those of you who read Harry Potter, um, you're familiar with um, Harry Potter? Oh, yeah, I'll just pull it out. Why not? I got it. There we go. Deathly Hallows on my wallet. Um, so I'm a Potterhead. I'm just admitting that, putting that out there. So Voldemort. Okay, so it's a, I mean, he's the typical shtick for this guy. He's an evil wizard that wants to take over the world. I mean, surprise, right? Uh, and, but what we see is something interesting uh, in, the, in the life of this, of this, this person who had become twisted. There's someone who, who thought that he could uh, achieve immortality. Someone who thought that he could have power over death itself. Now, that's, in and of itself, on the surface, that's a pretty worthy cause, right, to conquer death. Who doesn't want to conquer it? Who, do, who doesn't want death to, be, to no longer be a part of life? And even those who followed him were called what? Those of you who read the books, death eaters, right? And so, you know, so he goes, he's on this campaign, and he's, and, 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 but yet he follows it according to his own values and his own ways, and he, he, does, he wants to extinguish other people from the earth, right, he, there are people who are not like him and, you know, people who are mixed blood. In the book, they call them mudbloods, right? So people who are, have um, 
uh, wizarding in their skin, it's in their DNA, and then there's just the rest of us, regular people, right? And there are some people who are, who are mixed. And so he doesn't like mixed people. He doesn't like biracial people. He doesn't, he doesn't like people who are not pure, don't have pure blood. And so he, he wants a world in which only pure bloods exist and, and pure bloods are reigning and ruling over the entire world. And yet, what ends up happening to him, and I'm not going to ruin the entire series, but although if I'm ruining some stuff now, uh, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, this series has been out for a long time. And so <laughs> I, but yeah, yeah, you should have read it by now. But, um, but, but, he, but he gets, you know, this is, this is, this is the big, the, the, the climactic battle. What's going to happen? Who know, Who's going to stop this wizard? And he has a showdown with Harry Potter, right? And so he, and, and he, and he, he, he shoots his, uh, and shoots not the right word, but killing curse, right? He, he tries to, he, he casts that spell on Harry. Something terrible happens to the both of them. They both die, right? And then they end up in sort of this, this uh, spiritual plane, if you will. Um, J.K. Rowling creates this spiritual plane, which is in a, uh, uh, takes place in a train station, this King's Cross station. And there, Harry sees his old mentor, Dumbledore, but then he hears this, this terrible cry in the corner. So like he's, he's sort of died. He's sort of in this intermediate state. And what does he hear? He hears shrieking, like someone in pain. And when he goes to look to see where the sound is coming from, it's this creature that kind of looks like a baby. And so it crawled up in the fetal position and it's tiny. And, and Harry looks at his old mentor and he says, what is that? And he says, that, that is something that is beyond our help. And it is what was left of Voldemort. It was left of his soul, what is left of his heart. After everything that he had worked so hard for, all that was left of him was this tiny piece of his soul writhing in pain, diminished, no help, no mercy. Right? Now we look at that and man, that's terrible. I don't, you know, I don't want to become like that. There's no way. Right? I want to be given to a cause, but I don't want a cause to eat me alive. I don't want to come to the end of the thing and, and find out that I've been consumed by the very thing that I thought would give me life. But here, what, what Jesus offers us is something that will expand our souls, something that will fill us with contentment with who we are, and it will also give us a great quality of life, not just for ourselves, but for our loved ones and those in need. And even better than that, that quality of life is extended from generation to generation. And isn't that what we want? Right? We want some cause, some value, some identity that can fill us. And so Jesus is all about seeing people full of life. He says, I am the bread of life. So we're going to look at is what that bread is. What is it? How does it fill us? And how do we get it? The bread of life, what is it? How does it fill us? And how do we get it? The bread of life, as we can tell just, just from what Jesus has said, is it's heavenly food. It's, it's bread that, that comes from heaven, just as we sang just a, a few minutes ago. Look with me at verse 25. This is important because it's bread that comes from heaven, and it's not like the bread that these crowds just ate. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Now, what you uh, haven't seen, if you, if you read chapter 6 from John's Gospel, what you see is that all, all these people had just experienced a miracle. First, they had come to Jesus because he was healing the sick. And so they had seen his, his amazing power of healing. And then they would come to gather around him and to see what else he would do and then bring their, their loved ones who were struggling, their loved ones who needed healing. And then as they were with him, then they became hungry. And, and, and it's, uh, some commentators say that a lot of people in this crowd were probably marginalized people who were used to being sick and hungry, who were used to being without a paycheck week after week, who were used to struggling, who were used to having to go to the hospital and not knowing how the hospital bill was going to be paid. These are the kind of people who were following Jesus and who gathered around him. And so he, 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 uh, he looks at them with compassion, uh, it, it says in, in, John, in the sixth chapter of John. And he sees that they need something to eat. And he questions his disciple, right? How are we going to feed this crowd? You've heard this story. And then he feeds the 5,000, right? Loaves and fishes from a little boy he takes he multiplies it, and he feeds the 5,000. And it's more than 5,000 as well because when it says 5,000 men, in that, in, that, in that day and age when it says 5,000 men, men could be shorthand for families. So there were a lot more. And remember that those loaves and fishes also came from a little boy. So we know that there were children there. So it was more than just 5,000 people. And Jesus takes this little boy's lunch, and he feeds 5,000 people with it. And so they're amazed. And so now they, they, you know, he, he disappears they look for him on the other side of the lake. They finally find him, and he says to them, you're looking for the bread that perishes, regular bread, bread that, doesn't, that can't last, bread that, that spoils. But you need more. You need something more than this. Right? And, and bread was pretty important because bread in the ancient world was like grandma's meatloaf. Right? I mean, it was, it was the good stuff, the, the, the stuff that you look forward to, maybe on a Sunday afternoon or what you, what you look forward to on, on after a long day at work, you know, coming home and thinking, oh, yeah, you know, this is going to be great, and I've got grandma's recipe. I'm going to put this together. But in the ancient world, not everybody could afford a bunch of meat, right? But you had bread, and bread was life. Bread was what you needed in order to live. And as a matter of fact, it's so sacred, even today in some cultures that are pretty um, traditional cultures. I mean, you go to a place like Morocco, and it's, it's almost illegal to use a knife on bread because it's sacred. It represents life. So the way that you eat it is you break it, right? And you share it, and you give it to other people. You don't, put a, you don't cause violence. Um, you don't bring violence upon life itself. So this bread was an important thing, and these, these people that come to follow Jesus so that they could, they could literally live. They could eat some more. And so he's saying to them, but this, this bread is going to spoil. You need something more than this if you're going to live. You need something that's going to last. And we look for bread too, don't we? We look for something that we can smell, something we can taste, and something we can feel. Like some of us, if you're like me, you're a bibliophile. That's a big word. What does that mean? You love books, right? You just love being around books, the smell of them, the the taste of them, you think, you know, you kind of appreciate Amazon, but on the other side, you think Amazon's a curse because you, you, you miss Barnes and Noble and you miss Borders and Borders. 
orders. Uh, but you know, so and you miss these places, right? And you, you love, and your your idea of being fed is just spending an afternoon just sitting in a nice library or something like that, right? Uh, for the elders, is cats. You know, you like to have cats around you, dogs, puppies, that sort of deal. And then, and then for some people, it's it's being part of a certain company. Right? You, you, you know, you like what this company is for. You want to be a part of it. You want to, you know, you. You want to be down with that tribe, or there's a certain sports team that you want to be a part of, a certain high school that you, uh, you want to play for, a college or whatever. Or you just want to be a part of a certain school uh, because of its history and its prestige and its benefits and what it may offer. And so you think, you know, this is something that I can smell and taste and feel that I can be a part of. It will feed me. It will give me something. Even uh, for, for, for some of us, it's, it's about clean food, right? You just pursue clean food, and, and it's a whole movement. And it's a whole lifestyle that's... That, that comes around clean food and, 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 and what that looks like. And so we think that these kinds of things will, will give us life. We can smell it, we can taste it, we can feel it. And, and for others, it's, a, it's about doing net, you know, Netflix and chill with the right one. Now, I'm not gonna explain what that is because the children are in here. But if you don't know what Netflix and chill is, just you know, ask somebody else after the service. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. Or for, for others, it's about raising children, right? This, you know, to have children, to have grandchildren, it's, it, 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 it will give you life if you're around um, these little ones and if you have them in your life. Or maybe it's just taking a vacation. Just to be able to take a, a good vacation and travel somewhere that you like, that's where, you know, you get up in the morning, you're waiting for that opportunity to not have to work, but to take a beautiful vacation. That story's been told of this um, young man, he's a teenager, um, he tells the story himself. Uh, his name is uh, John Henry. And, you know, he was pretty blessed for most of his life. He did well in athletics and um, was at the top of his game uh, throughout high school. And uh, he also had, like, a, a beautiful girlfriend. So he felt pretty good about himself. And, and to his own admission, he said he started to feel cocky. And he's like, man, you know, I'm the man. I have, I have everything that I need in life. I've I got everything, and, 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 and look what I've earned, and nobody can touch me. Well, then some of those things start to disappear. Right? So certainly one, one day his girlfriend decides she doesn't want to be with him anymore. Then he's no longer at the top of his game. He's no longer uh, getting all the opportunities uh, to play on the field. And so what, is, what happens to him is he starts to become depressed, and he doesn't know what to do. And then eventually he turns to drugs, and he starts doing weed. And then he's, he's involved in that, and he's doing that, and people have wondered what happened to him. That he's no longer the same John that other people remember. Something has happened. Something has shrunk inside of him. He's been consumed by his desires. And then one day, his, his heart rate begins to go up, and he gets scared because he thinks he's, maybe he's having a heart attack. And he goes to the hospital, and he's afraid that once... Uh, his father comes to the hospital and talks to him. He's going to have to admit all the things that he was doing, all the stuff that he was doing behind the scenes, you know, using marijuana and all the other stuff that he was getting into to numb the pain and numb the sorrow that he was experiencing. His father extended grace to him. His father said, son, I love you. Whatever it is you're going through, just tell me. I'll be with you. I'll walk with you through this. John says after that, he was undone. He decided to go to church. 
and it was there while he was at church that he heard about Jesus. He discovered who Jesus was. Now that's it, right? We think, you know, that's, that's the answer right there. The spiritual food, just that's all you got to do, right? All we need is the spiritual bread, not actual bread. But hold on to that for a second. Because, okay, yeah, sure, we need more than material things to live. Amen to that, right? We need something immaterial. We need something spiritual in nature. But just because something is spiritual in nature doesn't mean that it will last. Okay, look, look again at, at verse 31. Verse 31, he says this. Jesus talks to the crowds, and he says that the crowds say, uh, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, uh, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. What Jesus is saying to these crowds is that what our forefathers ate, it, it wasn't sufficient, right? Let's look at this bread for a second. Because if you remember, if you go back to reading, the, if you read the book of Exodus, you see that the Israelites were in the wilderness, right? They were wounded from slavery and hungry from their journey. Wounded from slavery and hungry from their journey. And there they were in the wilderness. And then God heard their cry and, and, and wanted to help them out to to feed them so that they wouldn't remain hungry. And so they had nothing there, and he actually provided something from heaven. And what God provided, as the scripture says, was sort of like this flake-like bread that, that came from the frost on the ground. And then they called it manna, which literally means, what is it? But they had no idea what this thing was. So there was no way that you could reproduce this kind of bread. And so they call it manna, and right? What is it? And, and so, and, but they, so they began to, to eat it, right? Um, they don't know what it is, but it tastes good. It's spiritual in nature. It is, it is otherworldly. It's transcendent. It has come from something beyond us. And man, I, I got to get more of this. I got to get more of this, this spiritual food. It, it, uh, it's like nothing that, that I can find on the earth. And this, this is something that we, we can't cultivate for ourselves, that people are saying. They look at it, we, we can't make this for ourselves, but here it is. It's being offered to us. Man, I want to eat this, and I'm going to eat this every single day. But if you go back to that narrative, you see what happened. God required that they were supposed to store up manna for them, not store up manna for themselves, but in fact eat what they could only eat for that day. Because if they try to store it up, then it would end up getting uh, uh, filled with, with worms and begin to stink. And so God wanted them to depend on this bread as daily bread, to depend on his provision that he would give to them each day. So even this bread, this spiritual bread, this bread that has some kind of heavenly origin, eventually spoil and could fester if it wasn't eaten correctly if it wasn't consumed rightly. But we want things. We want spiritual bread. We want things that connect us to something that is larger than ourselves. We want something that we can consume 
that will make us even uh, feel, uh, uh, give us life, make us larger from the inside out. But all that we have available to us that is even of a spiritual nature spoils at some point. Think about this. Think about the times that we like to go for a walk in the mountains, right? And, and then, you know, you've, you've experienced that. You've, you've gone into the mountains and you've said, man, this is, this is wonderful. This is what human life is, is all about, right? I should reconnect to nature. You know, forget all the sort of the, uh, the, 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 the ruins of modern life, the, the things that destroy quality of life. We need to get back to, to something that, uh, that our ancestors enjoyed many years ago. And so I, I love being out here, you know, seeing the mountains and the sunrise over the, the peaks and things like that. And man, let me just find an opportunity to reconnect to that. And maybe you want to, you know, engage in tiny living, right? You know, trying to live in a way that's sustainable and doesn't take up uh, a lot of energy in the world, but rather gives back to it, right? And so, or even as you think about retirement, oh yeah, you know, I'm, one day after I'm done, and I'm ready to retire, you know, I want to move somewhere into a nice log cabin or something like that and just kind of live in the woods and, and only depend on a few things, right? That that's, that it, 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 but you're connecting to something that's transcendent, something that is beyond you. But also you think of, uh, uh, for, for some of us, it's like you hear uh, Ray Charles sing America the Beautiful or you hear the Star Spangled Banner, you get chills, something that's kind of, tingles, you know, down, down your spine, and uh, you get goosebumps. And then somehow just, just hearing that song taps into the spirit of patriotism. And you, and you like it because you just, you just feel larger than yourself. And like, we've got a race coming up next week, right? NASCAR race. And for a lot of people, you know, look forward to going to that kind of event because it gives you an opportunity to connect with something that is much larger than yourself. American flags waving all over the place. And man, it's like, wow. You know, I'm a part of something. Something that is transcendent is beyond the physical. There's, there's something underneath, beyond and around us that I think can give me life. Or maybe you've heard some testimony uh, about someone. Uh, you, you go into a conference or you just went online, YouTube or whatever it was, and you hear the testimony of some marginalized person who was reached by, through a particular cause and rescued and or maybe even saw this, this person or this people group be rescued up close. And man, it got to you. And you just want to join up with this cause. Maybe even quit your job. Maybe even change your career so that you can be a part of something that you, you hope is meaningful, that, it, that goes beyond you, that fills you, something which you can consume that makes you feel larger as a person. And of course, there's also religion and different philosophies out there that may inspire us, make us feel like we can be a better person if we would just follow some of the rules or follow the pillars of that faith. It'll make us better. And we put some of those laws and those mantras in our refrigerator or we keep it somewhere in our, on our phones, right? It, it, it's our wallpaper. You keep these things in front of us. I mean, if I just stick to these things, these things that are spiritual, then I'll be made better. But the problem with all this stuff, the problem with all of it is that if, if it is to give you life and it is to make you into a larger person, is to connect you to something that's larger than yourself, 
It's all up to you. You've got to keep it up. And if you fail at it, everything that you want goes right along with it. It all perishes. All of it perishes. And there's nothing wrong with nature or country or justice. It's just that if we're depending on them alone, they'll fail us. None of it can fill us with what we really want. But Jesus gives us good news. He tells us that his bread, the bread of life, gives us eternal life. But how, how, how does it fill us? How does it do it? But there's something here that you've got to, it's hard to catch because the, 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 uh, the words that we had before us in English, they're not in Greek. Right? Um, there's a difference between a quantity of life and a quality of life. There are often two words that are used in Scripture for, for life, particularly in the New Testament. One is bios, right, from which we get our word biology, and the other one is zoe, right? And, and so and some of you maybe have cousins or friends or whatever, you know, girls who are named Zoe. That's, it means life, right? And one is about quantity, right? Or, or one is it's just about existence, you know, bios. is the existence biology is a study of life. But then zoe is the quality of life. But, you know, what, what, what is living? Like, so that just a few years ago, speaking of vacations earlier, just a, f- a few years ago, my wife and I, we had a chance to go to Jamaica, which is where she's from. I had never been there. Uh, and she just felt like, you know, this is, this is a shame. You, you know, she said to me, you can't be married to a Jamaican. I've never been to Jamaica. Come on. So we were like, all right, so we go. Um, we went to Jamaica a few years ago. And wow. I mean, it's, isn't it something like when you see certain things in a picture, like, like, like trees or certain things in nature, you know, it's one thing to behold it on videos, another thing to see it in person. And there I was, like, in Jamaica, you know, standing on the northern coast uh, and, and, and looking at this water, the beautiful blue, and I'm thinking, man, I, this, is, this is a beach. I've never seen a beach ever in my entire life. I grew up in New York City. There are beaches there, but that, that ain't a beach. Right? This here in Jamaica, this is a beach. I, have a, this, I was, like, seeing a beach for the first time. And then waking up in the morning and, and hearing the breeze, you know, from that beach, you know, windows open. And by the way, parents, my kids weren't there, so think of that, all right? So, you know, so, so there, you know, no kids, you know, getting up in the morning, not having to rush. You, you hear the, the sea breeze and this beautiful um, uh, uh, ocean, beautiful sea, like, right in front of you. It is incredible. And I thought to myself, this is life. This is it. Right. And, and then you guys have had those kinds of moments, too. You've had those kinds of experiences. And when you've had those experiences, you, 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 you weren't saying to yourself, oh, now I exist. Right. This is, this is why I was made. Right. For this moment right here. No. But you're saying, no, no. Right now, I'm actually I'm living. I feel like I'm living. I'm not just getting by. I'm not just surviving. Right now, I'm living. Zoe. Jesus says, I am the bread of eternal Zoe. That's it. What he offers us is something that is full and glorious and that will never end. Right? It, 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 it's something, I mean, what, what Jesus is offering us is not clean food. He's not offering us 
justice or religion or, or intimate relationships with other people. But he's offering us himself. Zoe. How does he fill us with himself? How does he give us that new quality of life that would not only be for the here and now, but for all of eternity? Look at verse 53. In either one of those paragraphs, there's two of them in there. You can pick one. Verse 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. What in the world is going on here? Is Jesus advocating cannibalism? Right? Have you guys thought about this? Those of you who are Christians, like, this, is, this is your faith. That's, you know, people like you're trying to invite your friends into Christian faith and they read stuff like this and think of what are you you're eating somebody? What, I, what who would do that? This is the 21st century. OK, I'm going to explain what this is, though. All right. So he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me. And I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. When he talks about his body and his blood, right, you, you already know, those of you who have been walking with him for a while, what, what he speaks of here, right? Obviously, bread is a metaphor. He's not talking about physical bread. We've already established that. But when he talks about offering up his, his flesh, and his blood, he's talking about what he would do for us at the cross. How his body would be destroyed, how his blood would be poured out, and he would be a sacrifice for our sins. So what he gives us, how he fills us, is by, is by taking away our guilt and offering us forgiveness of sins in the presence of God. And what we declare as Christians is that that, that forgiveness isn't just for last year, it isn't just for last week, it's not for a minute ago, but it's for the past and right now and for all of eternity. His forgiveness covers us, it cleanses us forever. Right? And so and that and so that is one way in which we can be filled by the bread of life, by receiving forgiveness of sins. Right? Not not just yesterday, but today also and tomorrow. And God tells us that as we digest, as we take this bread, we are no longer condemned in God's sight. We can live with a clear conscience. And that's one way in which we are able to expand from the inside out when we no longer have guilt holding us down. When our consciences are made clear through the forgiveness of sins that Christ offers, we now have freedom to expand. But the problem that we have is that we don't like to admit that we're sinners. We don't like to admit that our problem is so deep that it requires the death of the Son of God. We may have some vices, right? Some, some things that we're guilty of, some things that we're not proud of and that make us feel ashamed and, you know, just give me enough time and I'll get rid of it. But no, we need the gift 
of the bread of life. But it's hard for us to admit. Another thing that makes it hard for us, though, is when we look at the other way that he fills us. Verse 61, he says this, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, but what he had said about his body and his blood, he says, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So what Jesus is saying is that he has so much authority. He's the only one that has the ability through his words to infuse his spirit within you. As we receive his words, the, the Holy Spirit begins to go at work in our lives. The Holy Spirit begins to generate new life within us as we receive his words in our hearts, as we receive his words within our souls and, 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 and eat it and let it consume us. Only Jesus has that kind of authority. But the, again, the, the, the problem that we have is that we don't want God to be all up in our business like that. We don't want the Holy Spirit. Come on, like it that close? Somebody that we can't see who is all in our soul, in our heart, and knows exactly what we're thinking and what's going on in there, and, that, and has all authority and power in his hand and begins to start doing things, right? We don't want somebody at work within us who's going to start making changes without our permission. I mean, this is, come on, this is America. I mean, it's like I, I control my life, right? My, de my destiny is mine, right? It's just, what, what, come on. And, then, and then, uh, you know, the hard thing is that there are the Christians who would teach the stuff to you, who would say the same thing and will write many books and, let you, and, and make you think that, oh, yeah, you know, what, man, if I could just, if, if I get, you know, God is just here, to, he's just going to bless me and, and do whatever it is that I'm, I'm hoping for, and I have, and I still have control over my own destiny and who I want to become. And we don't want the Holy Spirit coming in like wildfire, burning up things and creating spaces for new things to grow. That's hard. That's hard. So the Christian faith feels exclusive. But if you really look at this, you look at forgiveness of sins and the fact that we find it hard to accept it because we don't want to admit that we're sinners. And number two, that we're, we're given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to dwell within us, to give us new life. But we find it hard to even uh, to subject ourselves to the Holy Spirit because we want to have control over our own lives and who we will become. And what we find, that Christianity is not exclusive, but we're excluding ourselves. It is not Christ who is excluding us, but we are excluding him. It's the other way around. But God makes a way for us. And you see, even when, when, when Jesus, when he, when he talks to these crowds and they begin to walk away, he says the Father has to do a work, right? He says the Father has to do a work. And some of you here this morning have heard the Father's call. He's been working on your heart. He's been calling you back to himself. Even those of you who have been walking with him for a long time, he's been calling you to come and to eat. 
He's been calling you to consume him, to accept what he gives you and how he chooses to fill you with forgiveness of sins in the presence of his Holy Spirit. The question is, are you resisting him? Are you resisting him? The Christian faith, in and of itself, is not exclusive, but we are excluding Christ. What God gives us is an opportunity to have our guilt taken away, to have our souls changed and to secure us for eternal glory, right? He, he says, you know, whatever is given to me, I will raise it up at the last day, right? When everything is said and done, like what we were saying earlier, when we all get to heaven, this is going to be a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth and all, the, all of our troubles and sickness and the hunger, all that stuff is going to be gone and all our struggles with sin and the things that seek to consume us and to make us smaller rather than larger as people will be gone. All of our enemies will be gone. God offers us all of that. And he says, that is the bread of life. That is spiritual food. Do you want it? want to eat it, then come. Come and eat. How do we do it, right? How, how, how are we supposed to do it? How are we supposed to eat this bread, consume this bread of eternal life? The hint has already been given, right? We, we know what it is. We know how to do it. We must answer the call to surrender our whole lives to God's Holy One. Right? Peter looks at, at Jesus, and he says, we have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. And if he indeed is the Holy One of God, then we should surrender our whole lives to him. But that's a high cost. That's a high cost. I mean, let's keep it real. I mean, if we were, we're talking about giving up our entire lives over to someone else, that's hard. But don't miss the other piece of what Jesus has declared about himself. We've looked at the, we looked at the bread and we've looked at the life, but don't forget that he has said that I am. Verse 48, just in case you don't believe me, there it is. I am the bread of life. He's not just declaring this is what I am, but he's saying something in this pregnant statement of I am. And in the Gospel of John, this is like one out of, out of seven uh, different sayings, the I am sayings, right? And when he says each of these things, he's declaring something about himself and also giving a sign about what he has come to do as the world's rescuer, the world's savior. Remember the Exodus story again, where Moses has spent years away from where he grew up in Egypt. He's in Midian, and he'd become a shepherd, and he knows that his people are still slaves, but he is powerless. There's nothing that he can do to rescue them. But then God calls him aside in the burning bush, and he says, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But he's rightly, like any one of us, having to stand up against a world power. What am I supposed to do? Like, there's no way. I'm supposed to just march into the White House and, and just say, like, let my people go? Like, the people won't get me before I even get, like, within five feet of that place. Yeah, and who am, I, who am I supposed to say, sent me? And God says to him, tell them I am who I am, sent you. And what was he saying in that when he says, 
I am that I am. He's, what, he's, what he's saying is that he's saying many things. But one of the things that we have to get is that God is declaring his self-existence, that he does not depend on anyone or anything. That he has always existed, always will exist, and exists right now. He is past, present, and future. He is the ground of being. Nothing else exists apart from him. God is being. The nature of our entire universe is personal because it hinges upon a person, someone who has never tasted death in his life, has never tasted a beginning, and will never taste an end. The eternal one, the changeless one. I'm the one who's sending you, Moses. Tell them you've come on my authority. And so when Jesus stands before this crown and he declares, I am the bread of life, he's saying, I am that I am right before you. I am being in the flesh, standing before you, calling you to consume me, to eat. What an exchange. You think about that? I mean, we who depend on all kinds of stuff. I mean, bread. We need this. We can't eat. We don't eat this. Something's going to happen. If we don't have bread and water, we're done. But I am that I am standing before, and he says, come and consume of me so that you can have life. You who are empty, you who cannot fill yourselves, come. Come, come and take from the one who was willing to die for you so that you could have righteousness and life and glory. Don't miss it. I am that I am has become the bread of life for us. But uh, again, I, I have to always do this. It's something I, uh, I love to do, and, and, uh, which is just to burst any bubbles of uh, like a grandiose idea of Christianity. If we think that the Christian faith or the Christian life is just this happy-go-lucky kind of deal, oh, man, we're wrong. We've got that all wrong. The Christian way is not always easy. And those of you who have been walking with Christ for a long time, you know it. It's, it's not easy. Peter, even himself, he's, he, he, hears him, he hears Jesus, and he's been walking with him for three years. And when he hears what Jesus says right here, it's like, man, it's, it, it's almost like, what, what? I don't know how to continue. But what other choice do I have? Right? Is that there's, there's sometimes, there's sometimes in, like when we're, we're following Christ and we think that, man, we have, we have the bread and we're, we're consuming him and we, we have life and we're, we're trying to go on from one day to the next, but I'm not sure how I'm going to continue in this faith. But Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, I'm not where I thought I'd be at this point in my life. Where am I supposed to go? Lord, she's the third one to tell me that it's not you, it's me. But where am I supposed to go? Lord, yet another child has been kidnapped, been trafficked. Where am I supposed to go? Lord, I'm so out of control, I can't tell whether I'm coming or going. I don't even know who I am anymore. But where am I supposed to go? Jesus says, I am that I am. I am that I am 
is for you. He's with you. He is in you, expanding your soul as you face the hardness of life. What we really hunger for, my friends, is God himself. Thanks be to God that he offers himself to us. He is what we long for. If we surrender to him, we will be changed. We will be given life. We'll be granted forgiveness of sins, all the guilt taken away. We'll be given his spirit, who will give us new life from the inside out, and we'll be given the hope of eternal glory. So surrender to him your emptiness, your wounds. Surrender to him your sins. Surrender to him your hunger and trust him with your whole life and eat. And what, what kind of practical difference could this make? There's a couple of things I could mention here. If we begin to feed on what God offers to us rather than trying to consume what the world cannot give, we start to become a people who offer grace to the sick and the hungry around us. Right? And that's one of the things that attracts people to the Christian faith, and they see that, of people who are willing to go to the margins and to give of themselves to, to take care of the needs of people who are, who are struggling, right? Those who are sick and hungry, even sick and hungry among us. But we also become a, a people who become hospitable toward those who, that we, who agree with us and even those who disagree with us. Right? We become hospitable. We welcome into our churches and into our homes people with whom we agree and people with whom we disagree because we see that it is not the rightness of our political stances or our social agenda or our approach to food, be it fast food or clean food, that makes us righteous. It is Christ. So we welcome all even our enemies. There's one, one practical change. Another thing that I could say is that if, if, if Jesus is really offering us a, a bread of, a, the bread of life that grants us a, a, a forgiveness and uh, also opens the way so that the Holy Spirit can begin to transform us right, from the inside out, then we begin to participate with his work. That means we'll begin to prioritize and, yes, even plan schedule our soul care. We'll, be, we'll begin to take care of ourselves spiritually. We begin to say, well, wait, 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 wait. Do I really need to go to work today? Right? Or can I practice Sabbath? Can I have you know, some uh, hours, maybe 24 hours in a day in which I'm contemplating the goodness and the, the mercy and, the, and the, the, the delight of God and, and also relishing in his delight over me and, and experiencing rest? Because I don't, I don't have to work to give myself life. My work does not give me life. It is Jesus. And so then we began to actually prioritize spending time to slow down and enjoy our union with the Lord. If he's our brother of life, then we can do that. Right? And here's another thing. If, if you're a person who... Uh, you put a lot of your identity and heart and, and work, not, and not just work, but hard work. It, 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 what do you do when you're sick? You can't go to work for a while, or you get let go, and maybe you've got to take a, uh, a pay cut or something like that. You've got to take a different job. 
Will it devastate you? That, that's a hard thing to go through. But if you're eating from Christ, when that work goes away, you'll still live. And then, you know, even if you, as a hardworking person, you could look to the, the, uh, someone next to you who, who does um, uh, food delivery, I'd say like Publix or Walmart, something like that, right? Instead of going to the supermarket to get their food, they get it delivered, they get it picked up, right? You don't look at that person and say, oh, they're not a hardworking person. You don't judge them. But you, you accept them for what they do. Some people need to do that. And it's like, I do it. And you think, and you accept it. Now, and that's, a, that's a small thing. But I guarantee that there's, there's, there are little, little things that we have in our own hearts, little ways in which we judge other people, right, according to some of their values, their habits, things that they do. That's just one example. I think another thing that will happen in us is that we become more inclusive in our witnessing. And what I mean by that is we don't, we don't look at other people as spiritual superstars because they, they checked off all the boxes on self-help books or maybe they're part of some other religion and they, they do it so well, and they're a lot more moral than we are. And so we say, they don't need Jesus. I'm going to just leave them alone. They just look great, you know? My, my Muslim brother, my Jewish brother, my, uh, um, you know, my friend who goes to the Unitarian Church, and my friend who's part of Mormon, or, you know, who, whatever it is. You know, my person who follows, you know, the five-fold path and all that kind of stuff. Man, they just they look great. I don't have to tell them about the bread of life. You need to tell them. Jesus is truly your bread, share the bread. Doesn't make you better than them. <laughs> no, not at all. If you're really digesting the bread of life, you understand that you are a beggar. Just telling another beggar where the bread is. You both eat together. You include them. Regardless of how savvy they are spiritually or where they might be politically, even if they're political opposites, even if their addictions have taken them so far and you think that's it, there's no coming back for them. Jesus says, no, I can still rescue them. You still go to them. Tell them about the bread of life. Especially if that's you. The goal for all of us, for those that we love, is for us to be consumed by God. That is what Jesus wants for us. Christ said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would fill us with the bread of life. Give us exactly what we need, which is you. And we pray these things and we, we ask, Lord, with boldness because you told us to. You call us. You say come and eat. And so we come to you in our emptiness. We come to you with our, our hunger and our sins. And we ask that you would fill us. Give us the bread that will not diminish us, that will not consume us and make us into the kind of people that we don't want to be, but make us into people that you want us to be. All glory and honor due to your name, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.